My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, your source for common sense commentary centered on facts, evidence, and data. For the new viewers in the audience, the Christopher Peter Review markets original podcasts discussing salient current events, focusing on ones that impact our public policy, national economic outcomes, and overall society. In this podcast episode, I am going to discuss the topic of extremism in our politics and society overall. The word extremism is a buzzword meant to evoke specific emotions in the audience. Generally, it has a negative connotation, so politicians will use it to cast a negative cloud on their political opponents. Now, I say generally not because I will try to normalize extremism, but I am going to discuss some examples where politicians attempt to normalize extremist policy positions as everyday life. So without further delay, let us begin this edition of the Christopher Peter Review. What happens when a person is called an extremist? Let us really think about this. The idea of extremism is something that can be conveniently used against any political opponent regardless of political party affiliation or ideological group. As I just alluded to, the labeling of one's opponent as an extremist is a convenient strategy in a debate because it applies a negative connotation to someone with less public standing or experience in that particular space. For an incumbent, it helps position the person in power as the status quo and anything different than the status quo must be rejected by the use of the extremist label. While the label evokes negative emotions, we should really take it as an invitation to look deeper to see whether a person truly is an extremist or whether the person doing the labeling is actually the one drifting away from the acceptable norm. For starters, it would help to have our own definition of what an extremist really is. I would define an extremist as a person who holds beliefs that are unacceptably beyond the limits of what society generally and broadly considers the acceptable norm. Or a person who behaves outside the limits of what society generally and broadly considers normal behaviors. For instance, a person who holds the view that the earth is flat is an extremist in regards to this science because it is generally accepted that the world is round. Since there is enough evidence that satisfactorily establishes that the earth is round, the bar for that person holding the extreme view that the earth is flat is much higher because they must prove that the evidence countering their position is false or invalid and that some new never seen before evidence proves beyond a doubt that the earth is flat. Keep in mind that some views may appear extreme but are later proven correct or normalized through political pressure. The earth being flat is not one that will be proven correct or normalized. Now we establish that an extreme position from the generally and broadly accepted position. What does generally and broadly really have to do with our discussion? In a free-thinking society, there can be variations in how strongly certain groups believe something or why people believe what they believe. For instance, many people accept that World War II was a considerable spark to the American economy rising to the top of the global economic rankings. Some believe the success was the social programs that grew from the events. Many others believe it was because of the industrialization of our economy to become a manufacturing powerhouse to build and supply the weapons used in the war. And many will attribute the growth to the debt programs that made Europe indebted to America. Varying reasons for the same core belief. In reality, all three play a major role, but depending on how one views the world or economics, they may place one aspect as more important than the others. People who experience public assistance may feel that big government programs are essential to a thriving economy. Self-made people are more inclined to believe that social programs create dependency and erode the will needed for economic success. People in America are not so monolithic as some may hope. Our individual experiences, education, value systems, cultures, and other factors play a major role in how we view things politically, socially, economically, and diplomatically. So there is some bandwidth that is acceptable in allowing people to maneuver without completely veering. Extremism can be also relative to a certain aspect of society. One could be politically extreme but economically within the normalcy and vice versa. 
For instance, a person is in the mainstream if they support democracy but is in the extreme if they favor socialism or communism as a legitimate economic system. For free societies, neither socialism nor communism is able to complement free societies. Therefore that person is extreme on economic issues. A person who free market capitalism but wants greater government control over the ongoings of society may be extreme politically to some degree. In a free society, the government should not be the patriarchal leader and people should not need permission to live their life the way they choose or earn a living they see fit as long as there is no transfer of harm. Can a government that enjoys control over everyday life really be capable of fostering a free market economy? I do not believe so. People who hold extreme positions will have trouble winning elections unless they are able to convince society that their views are not really extreme and they aim to normalize views into everyday life. There are situations where society may hold the extreme view and needs to adjust to what may be viewed as radical. For instance, society viewed minorities as dangerous and in need of being separate or excluded from societal ongoings. Over time, the viewpoint that all people deserve equal consideration was rightfully normalized. Now a viewpoint that is extreme that is not right to normalize is the view that America is systemically racist and seeking to kill off black people. As a biracial person of color, with neither race being white, I do not feel that America is systemically racist and I firmly believe that facts prove that it is not. The accusation is purposefully ignorant of the fact that the supposedly racist society has spent trillions of dollars to balance outcomes and fill gaps as well as afforded impacted minorities a plethora of opportunities to receive preferred status in areas where their credentials may have been lacking compared to the field. The extreme accusation is a convenient cover to avoid discussing issues that the government is not the best source to fix. Issues that are only solved by the individuals making the choices that lead to their struggles or communities' attitudes that allow certain things to happen when there are clear alternatives. We can acknowledge that there are biases that negatively impact people of color, which need to be eradicated, but we cannot normalize the narrative that society is fundamentally racist and the only solution is to shift to socialist approaches or redistribute funds from those who earn to those who have no legitimate claim. I believe there are many people in our society who will gladly support an extreme position if they feel there is something to personally gain. But, I firmly believe that the real non-extreme position is that we all need to accept the responsibility for our futures and not expect something for nothing. We are a product of our choices. We do want a compassionate society and there are opportunities for policymakers to help lessen the burden. But help should be afforded based on need, not solely on demographics. I think that extremism can be very dangerous to our society and we need to truly be careful of what is being normalized and the approach being used to make the extreme appear as normal as apple pie. Many radicals will exploit high emotion events in our society to gain acceptance for radical ideas that one would normally reject with even the most basic critical thinking. Fringe ideas like defunding the police become palatable for people unable to handle emotions surrounding the death of George Floyd. George Floyd does not appear to be an upstanding citizen, but we all can agree that the police went way too far in his arrest, which led to his death. The rational response would not be eliminating police funding or police patrols, but holding bad actors accountable when their behaviors are deemed excessive and dangerous. But, people of color are more likely to be in need of police assistance and law enforcement is an important service to maintain a level of order where daily life is possible even in the most challenging of environments. But backers of such movements exploited the social anger following the release of the video, allowing a fringe idea to become normalized to a point where real harm was done. Another aspect of political extremism is the pendulum effect or seesaw effect in a way where one extreme event provides precedent to another to behave in the same extreme manner. This just ups the ante each event. If we truly believe in our American democracy, then we must be able to trust the outcomes of our fair and free elections and must not advance unproven claims as well as fabricated claims. 
I am not cannot trust the sentiments of these media and politicians condemning people as election deniers for 2020 when the same media and politicians gave a national platform to the same effort in 2016. And that is why most people do not trust the narratives claiming our democracy is at risk. I firmly believe that people who paid for fabricated information from foreign sources to delegitimize an election are no better than people not accepting results they do not like. I think working with foreign sources is far worse. Now should it have led to the events of January 6th? Of course not. The political violence we saw following both cycles is not acceptable. But, we also cannot exaggerate the actions of a few fringe individuals to advance public policy that is more harmful than the actions we oppose. So how can we address this issue and mitigate the problem for the future in a manner that is respectful of our values, traditions, principles, and political realities? The answer is not censorship. A free society should have the ability to disagree with our public policy, government actions, and outcomes without the need for permission from said government or corporate elites. We cannot believe that the government is exclusively good or exclusively bad. The reason why our founding fathers call for a limited government and powers not clearly defined to the government be held by the people is because they understood the corrupting force of absolute power. Empowering the government to regulate speech also affords them the opportunity to control what is said against the people in power. If we see Russia and China as threats to our society and freedom worldwide, why would we embrace their governing ideals? That is just not logical. The best defense against offensive speech and speech that is almost universally opposed is counterspeech. There will always be fringe people who hold views that are vile and dangerous. But, we cannot respond in a manner where we willingly lose what we hold dear. That is how these groups win in the long run. What the government can do is embrace the political institutions that have long served to reign in extremism. It may seem simple-minded, but bipartisanship rules and tools like the filibuster help reign in extremism by establishing a standard threshold that protects against radical ideas. Negotiating and compromising may be a long and arduous process, but good government is meant to be deliberate and not done by a constant cycle of crisis and threat to our communal well-being. A nation built on the promise of democracy and the foundational belief in freedom, opportunity, and self-governance should not abandon our principles to gain slight comfort in exchange for prolonged and sustainable discomfort for generations to come. We must never normalize a government-centric society that patriarchically opposes the people. Rather we must address our issues leveraging the ideals that make us free, innovative, and truly great. My name is Jennifer Smith and welcome to the CRC Conversation segment on the Christopher Peter Review. The issue of political extremism is not exclusive to only the Democratic or Republican Party. Each one of our leading political parties enjoys some level of extremism on issues that they obsess over. We have seen many times in our history when politicians had the right position then went far beyond in an effort to posture for political gain. One area is on the topic of abortion. There was a reasonable compromise where abortion would be permissible in the event of a real and direct threat to the life of the mother or the baby, a pregnancy resulting from rape or incest, or before a set period of time where life is debatable. Democrats like to think they were on the right side of history by trying to normalize the controversial practice as a mainstream method of birth control. Most rational people feel there is a need to have limits. Republicans are ardent supporters of the pro-life movement, which gained a major victory in the recent Supreme Court decision. The decision did not ban the practice rather pushed the question of legality to the government correcting an incorrect ruling that the practice was protected by the Constitution, when there is no actual text that addresses it. Some Republicans are taking the extreme position of complete bans without exception. 
the reasonable compromise would be to return to the traditional standard, where society does not normalize the termination of innocent life at the same time it does not prevent the mother from preserving her life in the event of a real threat to her existence. Our politics requires balance, rationality, and sound judgment. Our current politics can also be susceptible to extremism because many self-serving politicians only see their own interests. The incentive to either push for full-out abortion or to advocate for complete bans is largely found in the search for votes from either the fringe sect of voters on either the pro-choice or pro-life side who see no compromise or negotiation. But, these issues are not always completely black and white. Public policy is rarely universally good or bad. There are groups that benefit and other groups that bear additional cost and risks. This is why our law-making process is intended to be deliberate and exhaustive to afford concerns from all sides to be fairly evaluated and considered in the final versions of laws. Abortion is a highly controversial and polarizing issue with neither side being completely the right path. It is an issue where a compromise is appropriate and the former traditional compromise was right for all in society. There are some in our society who feel that the government should pick up the cost of their existence. We see the radical calls for cancelling rent, cancelling student loans, and other areas where people seek to separate from the consequence and responsibility for the decisions they make. In any society, there are no free lunches. Someone has to foot the bill at some point. Ideally, the cost should be borne by the person benefiting from the good or service. The person who received the degree they decided to pursue should bear the cost of that degree. The person who selected an apartment should bear the cost of the rent. Otherwise the decision will be removed from that person. Traditionally, people want to earn their keep. They want to be able to define what success means to them and find a path to that end. Now, there are many people who want to be completely devoid of the responsibility for the future. They feel it is not their fault that they do not have the job they want, the house they think they need, or drive the car they desire. Additionally, they look at others and feel like it is somehow not fair that other people may have what they deem a better life than them. There is a level of economic extremism where people feel like they should have the same level of material success without having to put in the same effort. People tend to make up narratives around why somebody has what they have rather than finding ways to maximize their own situation to increase income to achieve the same level of success. And many exploitative politicians will foster class warfare to make weak-minded people believe that successful people are the enemy. Rather than telling them to work smarter, close skill gaps through education, and be more productive and innovative. Many of these weak-minded people never critically think to question if raising taxes on successful people was good, why does the economy never thrive afterwards? Why are their own situations not better off? Why is their cost of living increasing? The level of political violence continues to increase. We all agree that there is nothing wrong with opposing the policy positions of our elected officials. But, there is no justification to do harm to our elected officials or our government buildings or monuments. For too long recently, people have normalized harassment of political opponents. For example, we saw prominent Democrats call for attacks and harassment of Republicans, which lead to shootings at charity events, attacks at restaurants and confrontations at the homes of our Supreme Court justices. Now, the husband of Nancy Pelosi was attacked by a radical protester who was seeking the speaker herself. At some point, we need our elected officials to actually seek to lower the temperature rather than fueling the hysteria-driven anger that leads to these types of condemnable events. There is never any justification to cause harm to our elected officials. Never any justification to harass them or their families. Being a democracy, we have a path to address the politicians we do not support. We can vote them out or lead opposition campaigns to drive change towards a person better suited for power. Violence is never the answer in society. If we value democracy, we must realize that fear, oppression, 
and coercion is not the appropriate means to opposing our leaders. We can obstruct, block, and oppose their agendas, but we cannot resort to the political violence that defines socialist nations. There is a narrative that hate in America is one-directional, when reality would tell you that any group could hold strong opinions against another group. In recent weeks, America has seen first-hand anti-Semitic incidents from prominent black celebrities. First, Kanye West made controversial remarks that have many organizations and high-profile people fleeing his brands. Now, we see Kyrie Irving face controversy for supporting a book and movie that has anti-Semitic themes and clear misinformation. Should we be surprised that people hold these extreme views or is this just a result of people no longer hiding them? Controversial and radical ideas are not new. Just have more forums for distribution. Also, high-profile people hold an unreasonable level of influence in our society. Brands use these people as influencers to drive product sales. Elected officials use them to influence voter behavior. People in society allow themselves to be impacted by influencers across many aspects of everyday life. Many times people do not truly know if these influencers hold the same values that they hold. We see people on our televisions or computers either in movies, shows, or carefully scripted interviews, but we do not truly know who they really are. So we act surprised when they show extreme behaviors or say things outside of the norm. We saw Kanye show extremism in the past, so we should not be surprised that he holds views outside the norm. We see Kyrie hold views that are outside the norm, so it should not be surprising that he would advance misinformation. We are being asked by those representing the status quo to think of who will fight for our freedoms and who will stand on our side. Can Americans really believe that Joe Biden, Barack Obama, or their Democrat Party ever fought for their freedoms? Is there any evidence to show that Democrats are on their side? Americans are experiencing economic challenges, increasing crime, and a host of other issues directly tied to the public policy enacted by Joe Biden, congressional Democrats, and local Democrats carrying the party pledges to their respective states and communities. Same as during the Obama era. I am not sure if there are any Americans who feel more free under a democratic regime, as the mandates and punitive actions are not that of an advocate of freedom. The vast efforts to silence Americans from dissenting or pushing back is not representative of one who stands on our side and not on our throats. Democrats are on the wrong side of history and they have a tough sell. So they will take poetic license with facts and reality to placate a base that is more interested in viral videos than understanding what is going on around them. In closing of this segment, we need to consider changes to our politics. If America is truly a nation that values the privacy of our citizens, then we should demonstrate that with our political and voting data along with our personal and commercial data. There are limits on what corporations can do with your data and who they can turn that data over to. Same limits should be applied to personal voter data. It is irresponsible to have unvetted people showing up to people's homes to pressure them to vote for a respective candidate regardless of which party. Many political organizations give information to people who are not required to have a background check, vetted for public safety, or citizenship status. There seems to be a growing number of incidents between the public and these political canvassers as well as canvassers posing a threat to the general public as well. It is one thing for these groups to hold events at public places like campuses, malls, or other general areas. But they should not be coming to our homes. Many of them are not respecting the requests to leave. We need to do better. Regardless of who you support or what party you support, you should not be accosted at your residence. As this is our last podcast episode addressing the midterms and the issues on the ballot, I hope that you will exercise your right to vote on November 8th. If we want change in our society, then we must cast ballots for change. Regardless, go out and vote. 
America needs a healthy democracy and we need to alter course. In closing, I too hope that everyone in the audience exercises their right to vote. There are many people that are asking you to vote early, but I will say you need to vote early on election day, not earlier than reasonably possible. I always believe that it is important to take your time and learn as much as possible and ensure you are voting for candidates that best meet your needs, values, and expectations. There are no perfect candidates. Just ones that best align with your views and needs. You do not need rank choice. Just make an informed decision regardless of which way you decide to cast your ballot. I thank Jennifer for her continued contributions. Also, I thank the audience for taking the time to experience this episode of the Christopher Peter Review Podcast. We truly appreciate your viewership and continue to collaborate to ensure we offer common sense and informative content. The Christopher Peter Review features not only this podcast, but feature commentary from Christopher Peter and news coverage via yours truly. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review channel at www.crcrvw.com daily for new podcast episodes, commentary, news coverage, and curated news content as well. Our focus is always providing objective common sense analytical content centered on facts, evidence, and data. We leave the partisanship and political hysteria to other sources. Thank you once again for experiencing this podcast episode and we will see you next time.